Welcome to Now Appalachian, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And hello, friends. We welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. And we have an outstanding writer who was with us last year, who is back again to talk to us about her latest book. It is the second book in a series uh, known as the Kingship Historical Mystery Series. And the author of that uh, collection is named Jess Montgomery. And we're thrilled to have her back. And the sequel uh, and the second book in that Kingship Historical Mystery Series is titled The Hollows, and we're going to be talking with her about that today. And Jess Montgomery is the author of this mystery series, the Kingship Historical Mystery Series, which focuses on a 1920s female sheriff set in Appalachia. You can find out more about her books and her writing at JessMontgomeryAuthor.com. She's also on uh, BookBub at Jess Montgomery Author. She's on Facebook at Jess Montgomery Author and is on Twitter at Jess M underscore author and on Instagram at Jess Montgomery Author. She's also been a newspaper columnist focusing on the literary life, authors, and events of her native Dayton, Ohio for the Dayton Daily News. Her first novel in the Kingship historical mystery series, The Widows, garnered awards even before publication. Montgomery County Arts and, and Cultural District Artist Opportunity Grant was also something she received in 2018. She received the Individual Excellence Award in 2016 in Literary Arts from the Ohio Arts Council and was also the John E. Nance Writer-in-Residence at the Thurber House in Columbus, Ohio in 2014. And we're delighted to have Jess Montgomery back with us today to talk to us about her outstanding second book in the Kingship series, The Hollows. So, Jess, welcome back to uh, Now Appalachia. It's great to have you back on the show. Oh, it is wonderful to be here. Well, glad to have you, and I, I love this book, and there's, for so many reasons, just like it was, it was just as good, if not better, uh, than your first book in the series, um, and I wanted to ask you, um, just to kind of set the scene for us as we pick up in the second book, uh, for maybe our listeners who haven't read the first book, I think you do a really good job of kind of setting the backstory here, but basically what we find happening in The Hollows is Lily Ross, one of the main protagonists from your first book, is back in this second book, and she's the newly elected sheriff um, of this county that she is uh, inha inhabiting. And she's got sort of a tenuous connection to that because of something that happened to her husband uh, a previous while ago that you talk about in the first book. But tell us what Lily Ross is up to, how she got elected sheriff, and kind of what is she in for as we get into the opening chapters of The Hollows. Right. So she um, became sheriff through a special election uh, in the previous book after her husband uh, died in the line of duty. He had been sheriff. Um, and that's not really a spoiler for those who haven't read the first book, The Widows, because it happens very quickly at the beginning. <laughs> um, and now in The Hollows, we're, we're about a year later in fall of 1926, and she's decided to run for sheriff in her own right <clears throat> in a full election. And she's uh, suffering, she wouldn't use this term back in 1926, but essentially she's suffering from a bit of um, depression still and a bit of survivor's guilt because she realizes how much she loves uh, the job of sheriff. And she also realizes there's no way she would have ever been able to move into this career if uh, her husband hadn't passed away. So she's struggling with those emotions and um, as she's working on her campaign, 
an elderly woman who nobody knows who this woman is, they can't identify her, um, is found um, dead either by murder or suicide or accident, no one's sure at first, um, along the train tracks in a remote part of the county near a uh, allegedly um, haunted <laughs> um, train tunnel that's uh, actually based on a true place in um, southeastern Ohio. In real life, it's the Moonville Tunnel. In my novel, it's the Moonvale Tunnel. And Lily's kind of nudged that, you know, we're not sure who she is. <clears throat> we're pretty sure she's not from here. You could just let this go. And Lily realizes that if she is going to uphold the rule of law for one person, that she needs to uphold the rule of law and investigation for all people. So she plunges into this, to this investigation. Um, which takes her down some interesting paths, not just literally on the tunnel, but um, in discovering some pretty difficult truths about her county's history and about some shocking things that are happening in the, in the moment in 1926 in her county, and also takes her to um, a nearby, what they would have called at the time, uh, an insane asylum to uh, find out uh, some clues there as well. Very good. And of course, in addition to Lily, we've got uh, Sheriff Lily, we've got a couple of uh, other characters that are back again, and that is Hildy and Marvena, who are so pivotal to the story and so pivotal to the relationship uh, that Sheriff Lily has, not with only her job, but with her community and her town. Um, so Hildy and Marvena, as we see them in the second book, as we see them in the hollows, what's changed about them? What are they up to uh, as characters into this storyline about this woman who's shown up dead on the tracks that maybe is not from here. Where are they and what are they up to uh, as this story unfolds? Right. So uh, Marvina is a new friend for, for Lily. She, they were not friends. They didn't even know each other at the beginning of the widows. And through the course of that investigation, they came to really know each other and appreciate each other. And Marvina is a um, coal mining um, union organizer. Uh, and she's loosely based on Mother Jones, at least spiritually based on Mother Jones. And um, she is a very <laughs> stubborn, salty, tough character. I just love her. Um, and she shared the narration with Lily in the first book. And we also got to meet Hildy, who is a lifelong friend of, of Lily's. And in the, in the Hollows, Lily shares the narration with. Hildy. And Hildy um, has some personal issues going on with a uh, fiance, but also uh, another man that she actually does love, who happens to be the brother <laughs> of Marvena. Um, and she's torn between these two men. But this isn't, her story arc really isn't about who will she end up with. It's about how will she come into her own identity and into her own uh, her own full self. So that's the story arc for Hildy. But in exploring that, she ends up getting pulled into this investigation as well uh, and helping uh, Lily in some pretty dangerous ways, actually, to uh, solve the crime. And I know one of the things that makes, you know, this book, The Hollows, uh, and your first book, The Widows, so unique is the amount of time and research that you put into this. And one of the things I, I really love about this book is uh, the community that, that you're talking about, this community, Kingship or Kinship, Ohio, which is uh -huh. in Southeast Ohio, 
um, you know, the, the descriptions of the area are just so beautiful. It reminds me a lot of uh, how John Steinbeck would describe the Salinas Valley or how Pat Conroy would describe, you know, Beaufort, South Carolina. Just, you know, you have such a good sense of place and, and setting. But I know that that comes through a lot of research and, and what we see, uh, I know a, a great deal in the widows when we interviewed you about that came through research, but it seems like you kept that same tenacity with research uh, with this book in the hollows. Can you talk a little bit about your research process and where did you go and how did you collect some of the historical artifacts and background information that you needed to put into this fictional tale? Well, thematically, the novel is in many ways about haunts. Um, which is what both Lily and Hildy are dealing with in their emotional lives in this novel. And that worked out beautifully because of course, like I said earlier, it's uh, set the opening and other scenes throughout the book are set in Moon Vale Hollow, um, which in real life is Moonville Hollow. And this was a little village that sprung up in the, the like latish 1800s to, uh, provide a shortcut from coal mining towns to places like Columbus and Cincinnati. And in order to build this track, um, they had to blast through a hill to create a tunnel. And it is such a narrow space. It's only one track. So a train can go uh, east to west, and then hopefully they get the signals right, and another train can go west to east. Um, and as you can imagine, there have been a lot of accidents over the years on this, uh, this particular train track. And what's clever about the, the town is that um, people lived, there was only about a hundred or a little over a hundred people ever lived in this village, but they lived there up even until the 1950s. And it was only accessible by um, foot, mule, or train track. Um, and also, side note, that train track was continued to be used until the early 1980s, which I just find remarkable because part of the research I did was to actually go find the tunnel. <laughs> so uh, the roads that we drove down to get to this tunnel uh, became so remote at the end that there were literally butterflies sitting on the road. No butterflies were harmed in the making of this novel, I promise, but they were <laughs> beautiful kind of to watch them scatter and flutter away as we drove. And then uh, we uh, hiked to, to, the, to the train trestle and um, I actually took my shoes off to walk barefoot on the tracks and on the ballast in between the tracks to get a feel for how would this feel. Um, because that's that happens in a scene in the book, and I, you know, it felt exactly the way I expected. It was painful, um, but writers are always wanting to verify. At least I'm always really wanting to verify what I think might be true. Um, the other bit of research I did was to go to um, Athens, Ohio, which is the home of Ohio University, and the old asylum is now owned by the university and used, obviously it's not an asylum anymore, it's used um, as university um, office space, also houses a beautiful art museum. And um, the local host history society was holding a walking mm -hmm. tour, so I went. Um, it was all exterior, we did not go into, um, into the buildings other than to the art museum area because most of the building is shut down and not safe for people to climb through. And it was really fascinating to me because um, the gentleman who was leading the tour said, if you're here for ghost stories, this is not the tour for you because I'm gonna talk about facts 
and about mental health history. And about a third or so to a half of the, of the tour just left, which I thought was both a little sad and also great because that way I could ask more questions of this poor man. Um, <laughs> so I learned so much, um, but I also encountered my own um, prejudice that I just thought of mental health care um, back in the 20s um, or the 50s or earlier as just sort of cruel and barbaric. And by our standards and what we know now, if we use those treatments now, it would be cruel and barbaric. But back in the day when these asylums were first built right after the Civil War, they were truly trying to do the best they could to help people with what we would now call PTSD, uh, with schizophrenia, with depression. And of course, there were instances of people being institutionalized for reasons that we would hopefully never, never apply now, like, you know, women going through menopause or quote unquote hysteria. But at the same time, um, there was a real effort to provide, you know, treatment in a, in a more humane way in some ways, because communities, people from the communities would come to these places and picnic on the grounds um, with their families and you know, be amongst the residents who were there doing their exercises on the lawn in the afternoon, which I thought was really fascinating. So it really kind of helped me get a sense of what it would be like to visit or, or live in a place like that back then. And That's I my- obviously did a ton of reading about uh, the tunnel um, integration of the mines because that becomes a theme. And, um, the asylum history. So I did a lot of reading. Excellent. Jess Montgomery is our guest here on this episode of Now Appalachia. We're talking to her about her second novel and her latest novel, The Hallows, which is the second book in the Kinship series. Her first book uh, that we talked about with her last year was called The Widows, uh, an outstanding uh, series of books that follows Sheriff Lily Ross, now Sheriff Lily Ross, as she's (laughs) called on uh, a certain case, a new case uh, in this book, The Hallows. And Jess, just to go back to what you were saying a moment ago about research, why does it matter for someone who's writing fiction? Uh, you talked so so poignantly a moment ago about all the research that you did, the reading and, and walking the tracks to see what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Someone might be listening or someone might be a fiction writer <laughs> and saying, well, well, why does all that matter? You know, I'm not writing nonfiction. I'm making this up. I'm, I'm making up these characters, this town, these circumstances. So what if the research isn't uh, what it should be or if I should, mm-hmm. you know, I need to spend more time writing less time researching. As a novelist and a fiction writer, why does that research matter? Well, I think it matters because you're grounding your story in a real time and a real place. And um, I actually, you know, do change the name slightly of of places because I'm not writing nonfiction. So I try to be very sensitive to, you know, this is not the history of the actual uh, Athens Asylum for the Insane. This is not the actual history of um, the place called, you know, Moonville Village. Um, but it's inspired by those places. And to try to get it as right as possible, I think it's important to make those characters and those plot points and the setting come to life. You know, you want your readers to feel like they've dropped into a place in time that is very much like a real place in time, you know, of, of the Appalachia in the 1920s, for example. Um, 
And I think it's just respect as well. I mean, if I made up, um, you know, treatments or, or made up things that were just so far out of what we would believe or expect for, for the time and place that we're writing, um, that's disrespectful to the, to the people and the places and the events that inspire my fiction, but it also throws readers out of the story, you know? So I can't have Lily, for example, consider DNA. <laughs> that just, you know, that's an obvious one, but um, I want to, I want to get as close to, yeah, this, this place, it's almost like, it's almost like taking a real map maybe a topographical map and overlaying just a thin gossamer of your own version of that map onto that place and that time. If that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that about pulling the reader out of the story, because if someone, you know, is thinking about that and, and for example, you use DNA, which I know is kind of a, an example on the other extreme in terms of, <laughs> uh, of that. But yeah, I mean, if someone comes across that, you know, that does that, that's the kind of detail, uh, that pulls them out of the story and make and makes them kind of question. Well, you know, does this author really kind of know what she's doing based based mm-hmm. on that? So I'm glad I'm glad mm-hmm. that you mentioned that. Um, I wanted to ask you one thing. Speaking of, of history, there's something that that comes up in the book, and I don't want to give too much away, but just have you comment on it, talk a little bit about it. We sure. learn that through this mystery, as Lily's investigating who this woman is uh, that was that was found dead on the tracks and from the county over, and it's kind of in Lily's territory now in her jurisdiction we learn a little bit about a a women's version of the KKK that existed Mm -hmm. in the 1920s. And I think this goes back and connects to the research that you were talking about a moment ago and why it's important. And again, I I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to give it away, (laughs) but uh, but, but can you comment a little bit on, on on what this group was uh, during this period in the 1920s and kind of how their presence uh, fits into what's going on and what Lily has to investigate in the story? Sure. Um, So, the Women's KKK or the WKKK was a true organization in the 1920s up until the early 1930s that uh, existed in every state in the union. There was at least one chapter in every state. I have no evidence of exactly where uh, these chapters would have been uh, in southeastern Ohio. So um, that's another reason to kind of change the name of uh, slightly of, of the village and the town because, you know, I don't want to use a real place name and then create a group like that in that place for obvious, I think fairly obvious reasons. But this group really did exist. And I have to say I was perhaps naively uh, shocked to to come across it because it's it's not um it's its own group it's you know it grew out of the kkk but it also believe it or not but it's true and there are great books uh, a couple of great books and um academic articles that i cite at the end of the hollows um it grew out of a branch of the women's suffrage movement that women um wanted the right to vote for for some great reasons, but after women got the right to vote, there were a handful, more than a handful, who said, now we want to use our power to control um, how people interact and uh, how 
people are treated and who else gets the right to vote and who, you know, and who gets to go to school together and whatnot. So this was a group that was for um, um, women who were Protestant, who were uh, native born and uh, who uh, obviously were, were white. And it's just, it still just shocks me when I think about it. And their goal was, was exactly the same goal as the KKK. They tended to uh, use more um, um, sort of techniques of whisper campaigns, but there were definitely a few groups that, that were violent. They were the hoods, they had the marches, they burned crosses, they did all the same things as the men's KKK. Um, and, you know, marriages broke up of men saying, a few, there are documented cases of a few men saying, well, I got divorced because I didn't want my wife to be in the WKKK, and she insisted that she would be. Um, so it took me uh, a while to get my head around it. I actually came across this because I just went on a group, a site called JSTOR, which is um, a place where you can get academic articles of all kinds. And I just typed in women in 1926 to see what would pop up. And this popped up <laughs> and I read the article and it was sort of this moment of, gosh, now that I've read about this, I can't not incorporate it into my novel. Um, so I did. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. And, and, and I'm, I'm so glad that you did that. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear that uh, as well, because I think that's just such important information, uh, you know, to, to know and for, uh, um, for our audience to understand and kind of get and uh, get some perspective on that. Absolutely. Um, so just let me ask you a question about a series and okay. writing a series and kind of how that works. Um, I imagine that part of the benefits of writing a series or a second book where you carry and bring characters over from the first book is there's a familiarity there. But I also have to imagine that as a writer, you want those characters to grow and develop in the second book. You don't want them to be exactly the same at the end of book two, like they were at the end of book one. Can you talk about that a little bit, the, the challenges of that and, and how do you show growth with, with characters like, like Lily and Hildy and, and Marvena and others uh, while at the same time being true to some of those core characteristics and values that you established with them in the first book? Yeah, that, I mean, you kind of answered the question in the question because that's, that's absolutely right. The wonderful thing about a series is, you know, I, I know this, this world uh, that I've created that I've sort of overlaid on the true 1920s uh, Appalachia, Ohio. Um, and I know these characters and their histories uh, individually and with each other, but at the same, so that's, that's a good thing. I don't have that ramp up world building, okay, I need, um, I need a protagonist, and my protagonist needs a friend. Uh, that's all set, which is, which is great. The challenge, though, is exactly what you said. It's, okay, or a year later, both uh, Lily and Mar Marvena went through quite a lot of uh, challenges and, and turmoil in book one, and they also grew as individuals. Well, mm, in real life, you only have, you know, so many experiences. I mean, at least I don't grow every year the same as I did the previous year. You know, I can kind of look back and go, oh yeah, there are five or six major times in my life where I really changed or I really grew or I had this deep realization. I don't think people do that every month <laughs> or every year. I mean, maybe some people do, but 
I don't think that's realistic. So, so it is a challenge to think, okay, what is the character arc going to be for Lily this time around? But the nice thing about the way I've kind of fallen into setting this series up with Lily sharing the narration with another person from kinship is it both feeds into the, the overall um, series theme of community. It's not just Lily, it's Lily and another character um, from kinship. And it's not the same character each time. So in the hollows, it's, it's Hildy. So Hildy can have, you know, a, a sort of bigger uh, growth than she did in the first book. So in the first book, she was, she was lovely. She was there. She had some challenging moments, but she didn't go through uh, a personal growth experience. So I think that helps. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously with each book, um, I'm going to have to sit down and think, okay, what is Lily facing in this book that is going to change her somewhat as an individual and help her grow? Um, because it can't just be she's showing up to do her job. There has to be personal stakes as well as big stakes in the community for every book. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point too, that, that despite that growth or a character may be taking a bigger step forward than another, yeah, there has to be, there has to be some stakes involved uh, in that whole scenario and that whole process. Did you find with, with those three characters, and, and I know you've got so many others in your story as well uh, in, 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 uh, in the hollows, but um, did, did you, were you surprised at maybe the direction that uh, one character grew uh, maybe more so than the others or less so than the others by the time you got to the end of the manuscript draft? In other words, did, for example, maybe you wanted Lily to go in a certain direction, but the story kind of took her either growing in a different direction or not growing in a certain direction. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? It, it, did that happen? And, and if so, as a writer, did you just kind of let it, let it happen organically? Is it, is it float or did you kind of go back and through the revision process kind of say, oh, wait a minute, I wanted her really to grow more this way or I wanted less growth over here or how did that all transpire? Well, one of the lovely things about writing fiction is that process of discovery. You know, I obviously as a mystery writer have to kind of lay out a, a at least, you know, safety net as I'm traipsing across the high stakes wire um, <laughs> of where am I going with this? But, um, but yeah, I, I, I can become surprised and I certainly did in, in both books and, and in the hollows, I was surprised by Hildy in particular, because at first I thought, you know, I want to pick her as she, if, if the first book is Lily and a new friend, let's let the second book be Lily and her lifetime friend, uh, Hildy. Um, but I realized as I started writing The Hollows, I didn't know a whole lot about um, Hildy. And as I started brainstorming, some sort of surprising things started to emerge. And, um, and, and the depth to which Hildy needed some real introspection uh, was a surprise to me, but a pleasant one. I think it makes, and I think it makes her an interesting, interesting character. Jess Montgomery has been our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We're talking to her about her latest novel, The Hollows. So, uh, Jess, let me ask you, uh, what are you working on next? What's the next project in the pipeline for you? <laughs> uh, book three. I'm lucky uh, and blessed to have uh, been contracted by my publisher, Minotaur Books, uh, for books three and four. So I'm working on uh, book three, which is due in a couple months, um, and it is uh, set in 1927. Um, it's, uh, again, of course, Lily and another character who I'm not going to reveal just yet. And I will say that the book, uh, both 
you know, prohibition and um, moonshining and all of that are sort of in the background in the first two books. So I thought with 1927 in particular, because it's kind of a, a pivotal year in um, the attempt to enforce that law, um, the prohibition should come forward um, and, and play, play a central role in the book. So that's what I'm working on now. Excellent. And so timelines on that, you know, the, the, the new manuscripts do soon. Uh, any idea when we could spe- expect book? Book three. three? Uh, yeah, it should be, um, it should be January of 2021. So at least at this point in time, um, my books are slated to come out in, uh, in early to mid January each year. So Jess, in our final moments here on now Appalachia can, I know we touched on this in the introduction, but how can our audience get in contact with you if they want to get in contact with you to talk more about the hollows or the widows or what you're working on? How can they get in contact with you and where can they get copies of your book? Um, they can get copies of my book at their local libraries um, or their favorite online vendor or um, even, even better if you're planning to buy it and you can get to an independent bookstore. That's always great. So it's widely available in libraries and bookstores um, and you can also uh, find purchase links on my website and my website's a great portal to, to reach out to me. Um, you can email me uh, via my website, which is jessmontgomeryauthor.com. Uh, you can sign up for my email newsletter, which is um, frankly, I think a lot of fun because you get some bonus material for just for signing up. And I do little, uh, little giveaways um, almost every issue and have pie recipes and, and things like that. And then of course, as, as you mentioned at the top of the interview, um, places like BookBub, uh, Facebook um, are great to uh, get to know me. I'm pretty active on Facebook. There's a Jess Montgomery author page, and then there's a private Jess Montgomery book friends group. Um, and uh, on the group and on the page, uh, I, chat about other authors besides myself as well as news about my books and it's, it's a lot of fun I love I love hearing from readers whether email or Facebook messenger or yeah it's great and I don't want to speak for you because I I'm not your publicist or your agent but I do know that uh, <laughs> from, from having talked to you and, and listened to you that you're more than willing to come and travel and go to book clubs, go to libraries, go to open mic events and read from your work and talk about your experiences as a writer. Is that still true? Yeah, that's, that is basically true. Um, if folks want me to come to their, their book club or to an event, they can just email me. Um, if it's going to be a, a bit of a drive outside of my area, uh, Skype or FaceTime. I do a lot of Skype and a lot of FaceTime meetings with book clubs. You know, I've got some scheduled for, for Texas, for example, already in May. So I'm more than happy to Skype in and, and chat. Um, that's a lovely way to, to visit as well. Jess Montgomery has been our guest today here on Now Appalachia. We've been talking to her about her latest book, the second book in the Kinship Mystery Series. It's called The Hollows. It's outstanding. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. If you haven't read the prequel to that, which is called The Widows, you need to read that as well. It's outstanding. Jess has created some wonderful characters set right in the heart of Appalachia that uh, are unforgettable and you will enjoy them. You will enjoy their development, their banter with one another, but also if you like a really good mystery, you've got that there as well. Jess, congratulations uh, on the second book, uh, The Hollows. We are so happy for you. And as books three and four come out, uh, we're going to have you back on now Appalachia to tell us more about those. So congratulations and uh, good luck to you with everything in the future. Oh, thank you so much. 
And that's going to do it for us on this episode of Now Appalachia. I want to take a moment to thank the executive producer of Now Appalachia. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the work that she does behind the scenes, uh, getting these broadcasts uh, recorded, getting them smoothed out, and getting them uh, published uh, for your listening pleasure. So thanks, Pam, for all the work that you do. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the AIR Global Radio Network. Until next time, I'm your host, Elliot Parker. Stay well. And see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.